and welcome to Pablo's channel. The place where you can come here and think deep. Da, da, da. Yeah, okay, so yeah, just, um, sorry, that was a bit, uh, bit cringy that one. Um, yeah, we're back to um, reading in a, in a science fiction book. It's a science fiction, or is it real? Da, da, da. Science fiction. Science fiction and reality is very closely linked. You know, just think of Arthur C. Clarke and his, when he did this book on, um, and he, he, he wrote about satellites, and then, lo and behold, he created satellites, all thanks to his idea. So ideas and reality are very closely linked, aren't they? I mean, I suppose you can get a bit wild and start talking about <clears throat> teleportation to other planets. That might be, uh, that was quite... I mean, who knows the future? Anything's possible, I suppose. But, but anyway, um, yeah, so I'm going to continue reading Is Another World Watching? The Riddle of the Flying Saucers by Gerald Hurd, written in 1951, uh, or dated 1950. I think it's 1950. Let me have a look. It says copyright here. Let me just go back on it. It says, yeah, first published in 1951. Yeah, so 51, wasn't it? Um. And then he was, he's looking over a period of six years um, of the UFO uh, phenomena when it, and it's all started. Well, apparently there's been UFO communication in the past, but it's a, re a re renaissance maybe into it happened uh, possibly in 1945 or around that time. I'm not too sure, maybe the book will reveal all that. But... Um, but what's cool about it, for me, is that Gerald Heard, yeah, he's a really learned man. You know, he's not like, you know, uh, he, he is, you know, he's disciplined in his in his thoughts and his thinking. And um, he's into all the weird and wonderful as well. Um, so it's fascinating to see that. I mean, it's bound to happen, isn't it? I mean, if the, the collective consciousness starts talking about UFOs... You're going to have to respond, aren't you, from a psychological point of view and kind of look into it and see what it's all about. Um, whether there really is, that there has been um, spacecraft com keeps coming down here and checking us out and not wanting to, I don't know. You know, simply, I just do not know. It's a possibility. And it's always going to stick in our brain, isn't it, I think? That's the my it's a mystery, isn't it? Do you know you could, yeah, in some ways, it could, it's the ultimate mystery, isn't it? Is there other life forms out? I mean, there's definitely got a, well, I can't say definitely, but there's, when you know about the cosmos, you know there's billions of galaxies, and galaxies hold loads of solar systems. So the thought that we haven't got any people, uh, there's no life forms that have made it, just us that are life forms, conscious life forms, seems pretty, you know, high possibility of no uh, you know it has got to be so but whether the but now this 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 ufo thing is talking about there'll be uh, some that have got more highly evolved than us and managed to travel uh, here on super spacecraft you know before we've got the intelligence to travel over there because we're you know we're at the moment trying to we we've apparently traveled to the moon and we're thinking of traveling to mars soon with uh, elon musk and all them but anyway, right, this is a long intro, isn't it? Um, so yeah, anyway, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, have you heard of Eat Static? 
because I've been playing that music f- throughout this uh, narration series uh, because it's kind of it's electronic, but it's got a an alien space theme to it, so I thought it's perfect background. Um, I'll just give you a background how I came to know about it. Back in my days when I used to hang around a, a, a guy called Andrew Lee, a Malaysian fella, lovely lad. Uh, my first major job really uh, was a, I was a kitchen porter or dishwasher in a Chinese restaurant and I met him there and we got friendly first thing he said to me was do you smoke weed I mean you know so yeah and we had um, so we got to the point where we'd be, I'd be working Friday Saturday and Sundays and I'd be getting uh, pretty <coughs> and all my money base would go on weed and uh, other drugs if they came upon us um, to be honest, I was quite wild back when you, when you as you as you are when you're young, um, and that my wildness was that, that wanting to uh, experience any substance really, which was dangerous because if heroin came into my hands, could have possibly taken it and got me gone on a bad trajectory of that. But luckily, <coughs> that never happened, uh, and crack isn't it as well. But I think I was a bit wary of, the, of it. Didn't kind of yeah. But anyway. Um, but I smoked a lot of weed in that flat, and um, and then I met this guy. I forget his name now, but he introduced me to this uh, music called Eat Static. So I'm going to play it in the background uh, while I continue reading. Is another world watching? Okay, long intro today. God, over five minutes. So I hope I'm bored. You haven't gone off. You know, I'm going to get into the the juicy stuff, which is the book. Gerald Hurd's thoughts. So, yeah. Hold on a sec. Just, uh... This one's called The Science of the Gods. This one's called The Science of the Gods. Um, eat static. <clears throat> okay, so. We're up to chapter three. <coughs> the Tragic Chase. That's called. Cool. The new year of 1948 was only a week old. The second year of the disc era. When death took his first toll. Let's have a listen to the music. Science of the Gods. Yeah. Before, however, that sad and baffling tale is plotted out, let us remember one thing of great importance. These trespassers, if we should call them, have been meticulously careful to observe the amenities. They have always uh, kept their distance, kept out of the way, and when they have found that they have strayed onto our unmarked air traffic lanes uh, have at once cleared off they may have been observing us or even may be interested in something other than us but certainly they have not pressed their curiosity to any impertinent lengths there is no evidence that they have ever made any motion towards landing the one or two not very good reports say they did come near the ground, 
They certainly took care to do so when no one was about who might object. We must repeat, they have always tried to get out of the way. For it is of the utmost importance, we should never forget that. And it is of the utmost importance that we should remember that fact when we are reading this chapter. The terrible as the encounter proved, the encountered, the visitor, did everything within its remarkable powers to avoid a contact, to keep clear of complications. Though, as a t- as terrible a monster as any human eye has ever rested on, it ran like a hare away from the rash man who pursued it. That being clear beyond a doubt, now we must have the story. It is also clear beyond a doubt that the authorities were uneasy. Of course, they were, and they would not. They would. <laughs> they would be unfit to be authorities. They were caught between two concerns, two acute anxieties. The first thing was, of course, what the devil is this? No, no one is inspired today, and everyone knows it. Today, the more informed you are, the better you know that your best and brightest guest peers over the edge of a blank, black abyss, out of which no one knows what next will emerge. Wow, this signs of the gods eat static. The second concern that a lively authority in the up-to-date going to pieces world knows is that no one knows what the public will stand. What if the wildest fear proved true? What if the last thing we are clinging to in the back of our minds that Though God and inspired prophets and infallible authorities are all put the, by a public opinion under a cloud, at least man is the one thing that matters. At least we are the one person who can think and act and direct our fate. What if that isn't true? What if there are other creatures as clever? Yes, much more clever than we. Now, would the public, the democratic, I am the crown of creation and the master of my destiny. Present day public. Stand for that view being squashed, flattened. Again, nobody knows. And that question, of course, is second to none to a democratic politician. So the authorities have been uneasy and have tried, like all uneasy people in control, to keep a straight face and say as little as possible. But they had to find out. It was on the 7th of January, 1940, that the new year brought, as a present, the possibility of finding out. And the offer was a big one. The biggest ever up to date. Fort Knox in Kentucky. Famous throughout the world as the place where (coughs) the vastest heap of gold ever accumulated in the history of man used to be kept buried was chosen as the centre of the scene of action and tragedy this was to be no case where someone off the track over some quiet countryside in the night 
a couple, or maybe one observer saw something for a few moments. Bear me a sec. Hey Google, volume 6. So yeah, this was this was to be the uh, to be no case where someone off the track over some quiet countryside uh, in the night, a couple or maybe one observer saw something for a few moments. No, it was to be as far as the word showing means showing something, a showdown. It was just getting on for three in the afternoon, time when the light is still very good and men fresh and alert. The state police had been the first to give the warning about half past two. Certainly, scores of people had already reported seeing something that made the state police call to the military police as a matter of immediate need. A very big object that shone brightly in the afternoon light, in the afternoon light, was travelling through the sky at a vast speed. And it was evidently making its way toward a big air force field, with um, the good the Goodman base. The airfield was then on the alert, and those on watch didn't have to wait long. The Goodman field tower was manned with its leading personnel. The commanding officer, Colonel Hicks, H-I-X, was in control there. He was using his binoculars, and they had found their mass, their marks on. The clouds were broken. Through them had appeared something which made the warning sent ahead seem anything but exaggerated. The clouds thinned, and the whole group of experts and responsible people, as competent a bunch as could be found in all the world, the entire team saw, the entire team saw it was huge. The size must be estimated. There wasn't much doubt about it, only that it couldn't be. But any estimate, which was made by ordinary checking, seemed to show that it must be, say, at least 500 feet across. What there was no doubt about, and this was a new source of style, it shot out in the daylight pulses, or blasts of red flame. But the group in the tower weren't, of course, just going to stand and gape and hope the clouds would clear off and the thing obliged by standing still. It was clearly going its own sweet way as its own strong gallop. So, not expecting otherwise, the command had made ready. Three fighting planes were already up, racing every moment higher to come with the intruder, nor had the command to wait. One of the most wonderful features of modern flying, and what has made so much of its security, is that the ground controls and commands and the ships in the sky can keep in constant touch, in instant exchange with each other. And now the scouts hidden high above the cloud began to speak clearly to the whole group in the tower. At least the man in command of the scout fleet of three was now speaking. That was Captain James Mantell, M-A-N-T-E-L-L. It's the end of the science of God's eat static. His report was good insofar as it was not disappointing. But it was grim too. Yes, 
He had the quarry in view. He was on its tracks, and there had been no exaggeration. It was of tremendous size. It looked, too, as though it were metallic. Then the voice from the far up plane went on. The fingers climbing. The next phrase was hopeful. It's going only half the speed of the pursuit. Yes, he tried to close in. <clears throat> but after five minutes, when the loudspeaker again took up its tail, it was n- not so certain. The monster had evidently taken fright. It had shown its metal. It was now climbing at close on 400 miles per hour. When the speaker again addressed the tower group, the voice was from one of Mantell's companions. Both he and his fellow plane had seen the object, but they had lost sight of it now, and of Mantell. For he had gone on up after it and had disappeared in still higher clouds. At last, at quarter past three, Mantell's voice was heard again. He was holding on and up, but the thing was still rising above him and maybe increasing the gap between them. Still, he'd track it as far as he could go. He thought he could stand up to 20,000 altitude. Then, if that didn't bring him at least to a better view and closer up, he'd give over. Probably he did. No one knows for certain. What did show up was dumb, dead dumb. The wreckage of his plane was picked up over a wide area. How he actually met his death, no one could say for sure. But dead he was. When his voice could no longer be got on the loudspeaker, the command ordered one of his companions to search upward, take an oxygen apparatus. He not only went to 33,000 feet, he swung over hundreds of miles of skyscape. But there was not a glimmer of the immense thing that had all seen rolling above them. Fort Knox made a release on the subject. The commander, Colonel Hicks, was allowed to have watched the visitor, which was said to be unidentified, and Captain Mantell was declared as killed while chasing it. The rest, as a famous and inconclusive play, concludes by saying, is silent. But there was a rumour that at Columbus, Ohio, at the airfield there, as the sun was setting on that fatal day, a disc rushed overhead, and that and that this disc had a big flaming flu blast trailing out behind it. So the tragic chase closed with the first saucer casualty. The sacrifice made by the gallant pioneer didn't add to our knowledge anything more than might have been gleaned from the ground. The observations from the tower showed that it was a new species and maybe a new genus of this strange visitation. But, sorry, before, no disc of that size had been noted, though some may have been as big, but too high to be gorged. Yeah, gorged. G-A-U-G-E-D. But what none before had shown was this great flare of angry incandescence from the stern. And still, there were more to come to make the whole problem more of a headache, more facts to make the whole thing more incredible, less able to be fitted into any, even the most unpleasant of human explanations. Further, as we shall see in the next chapter, with unabated courage, 
pilots were ready to try and tackle and maybe intercept one of these uninvited visitors. So stay tuned. <laughs> there you go. So that was um, chapter three, The Tragic Chase. <laughs>